Welcome to the CDC Podcast, Episode 14, the end of year show, 2013 edition. With me this time is Editor-in-Chief Chris Ligman. Am I still the Editor-in-Chief? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not. Uh, Leader of Blogs of the Roundtable, Alan Williamson. Hello. And contributor, Cameron Kunzelman. Yep. Hello. And I am your host, Eric Swain. We're going to try and be short this time. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> no extravaganza this year because we all want to do something else. So let's okay. get right into it, into Wait, the year in review. You, you launched into a very inspiring start there, I and mean, all our listeners, all, I mean, you know, all two of them are going to go, oh, well, they really <laughs> want to be here. <laughs> well, I think for the sake of my liver, we need to keep this short. Yes, yes. 2013, a year where uh, a lot happened and not a whole lot of it really seems to make have much of a sticking point. It's a year of transition between not just console generations, but attitudes, between games where we're just sort of looking at and waiting for the next big thing, or at least the next interesting thing. And along the way, a few bright points happened. And I'd like to take this moment to say a trigger warning for discussions of harassment, rape threats, and bad language, and basically anything else that might have happened in 2013. But first, a little wrap-up from 2002. 2012, you mean? Yes, I do. 2012. <laughs> There's a two in it. Shit. Good start. I'm just a machine here. Listeners, I don't drink, so this is just me. Is that a wrap-up from 2002? <laughs> I, had just, I, I had just finished my school exams and getting ready to go to university. <laughs> I was in high school. I was in high school, too. Okay. But anyway, a wrap-up from 2012. After the big tragedy at Sandy Hook and all the government wanting to do something, the one thing that they decide, one of the th few things they actually decided to do, was meet with game industry representatives. And you know that was, I guess, an inquiry led by Vice President Joe Biden. And to Biden's credit, he basically said, "Look, we're pretty sure you guys didn't do this because you know there was that guy with the gunman and all that stuff. But <laughs> your public image needs some improvement." Was basically what he ended up saying to the representatives, which you know. As responses to the game industry from American politicians go, it's probably the most enlightened we're ever going to get. Because the game industry is one of the few industries in the U.S. that's actually making money. That's true. And yet a lot of people still can't stay employed. Anyway. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, but but things nothing's happened it, since then. You know. I don't remember, recall any announcement of who's doing the studies or what scientists have been brought on, or where the money went. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's going to... Just, like just like the rest of their gun policies. Yeah, and it's a really good thing that, you know, that they set up this study and all that stuff, because as we know, there have been absolutely no school shootings since that happened. Well, at least not that have been reported. For the benefit of our listeners who aren't American, can you explain what this is about very, very briefly? Uh, of course, okay. I understand, just that, you know, our listeners might, might not 
Okay, so there's a bit of a uh, gun epidemic going on in the United States. See, we allow ordinary citizens to carry these incredibly uh, high-power firearms because we consider it our rights as human beings for some arcane reason. And throughout the course of 2013 in particular, I think there's been something on the order of 20 shootings at schools across the United States. And I'm pretty sure the number's higher, but yeah. I, I don't doubt it at this point. But as Eric and I were observing, you know, they've been getting less and less press attention. And when we do get press attention for them, almost invariably, video games are brought up as some sort of inciting cause for the violence. As if they have mind control powers. Yeah. Okay. So even though um, it's like 99% of the killers at bread, um, that doesn't get brought up with all these video games, which everybody plays anyway. Yep. So really, under that context, the fact that Biden's like, look, you guys didn't do it, but you're, you've got a really terrible public image is, you know, at least more cognizant of reality than we're used to getting out of politicians. So, so this is the least crap response the U.S. government has made to the games industry so far? Uh, and pretty much any industry lately. Okay. Yep. But speaking of public image, if I can just skip to the item right below that, Dead Island Riptide Special Edition releases with a headless, bloody woman corpse. Because it's funny. It's a conversation piece, right? What conversation does that start? Where am I going to hang my hat today? Oh, I know. The headless, bloody woman corpse. Is the person who owns this a sociopath? Yes. I thought that there was already a scandal about this, possibly last year, and then they said they weren't going to bring it out, and then they did anyway. Is that right? I think that was a different game with a different thing. No, no, I, think, I think what it was game? that it was announced, and then after they released a bit of an apology, like, oh, we're so sorry people were offended, they were like, all right, let's just put it out anyway. But that was it, wasn't it? it was, we're, we were, we're sorry you were offended. Not we're, we're sorry that we produced this headless bloody women corpse. We're burning them all right now. We're sorry you were offended. We're sorry that, you know, you, you didn't get the joke. There wasn't even a, like, we won't do this again promise. Well, given how well it's sold, that actually probably is something they could keep. <laughs> wow, that's really all we have to say about a bloody headless corpse of a woman. Well, it generated an awful lot of discussion, a lot of which, you know, readers can find uh, in our roundups throughout the year, but... It really is just a tired debate at this point, isn't it? I mean, the same like, circle. Like, Let's be fair, there's not a debate, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, there's no. A, yeah. a moral problem. And yeah, they just, the just same. apologize or care, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, Deep it's Silver just is sort of a long-form problem. Yeah, it really wasn't the developer, the just to be clear here. It was really more the publisher and the you know the PR that were going forward with this idea, and they were the ones I that think, were failing. Wasn't this only released in the UK? Uh, UK uh, and Australia. I, okay. Uh, I forgot to pick you guys one up, so sorry. That, that even makes less sense to me. N- never mind. I'm moving on. THQ's final demise and auction. Rest in peace. Rest in pieces, as it were, as all of its assets were auctioned off. I mean, it's very unfortunate that you couldn't just, like, get, like, assets a la carte, like, literal game assets, because I totally would have bought, like, the Saints Row 2 gender slider. Like, that's just the one thing I'd want. You just imagine getting this massive text file in your email going, there you go, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see, they own 
the only two properties I remember them owning the rights to was Metro and Saints Row. Yeah, and uh, Saints Row went over to uh, Deep Silver, which published Dead Island, and that actually earned a lot of folks a bit of uh, trepidation, figuring it was going to result in a similarly unsavory PR campaign, but that didn't happen, fortunately. Which is which is really kind of weird, given what Saints Row presented itself as. Yeah, I mean, Saints Row the Third had, you know, its share of like immature sexual content, but at the same time, I like I think that the franchise as a whole has a bit more respect for women than you know a, a dismembered bloody torso. I hope everyone there found a job. I, I actually, whenever I heard of this, I struggled to think of a lot of THQ games that I had played recently. I mean, I think Darksiders. Red Faction. Yeah, and Red Faction. Yeah, those are two more. Red Faction is the kind of thing I was, wouldn't touch by default. It's like so, so generic. So, I mean, yeah, it's a shame, but you can kind of see why they went downhill because they didn't have that many. That isn't why they went downhill. They went downhill because they created a tablet for the Wii called the U-Draw. They had them stocked up like E.T. Atari cartridges in warehouses everywhere that no one bought. A tablet for the Wii? Who would think that would be a good idea? <laughs> Does someone have, is someone sitting in a rocking chair? No, no, that's the construction going on next door. You can edit that okay. out, right? No. Fuck <laughs> There's nothing I can do about that. I, I, that's why I asked if it was a rocking chair. If it's construction, we're screwed. Just, All right. Just assume that the cat's doing it somehow. You're going to have to knock it off. <laughs> All right. David S. Gallant fired from the Canadian Revenue Agency for making a game right. about the Canadian Revenue Agency. And it was, you know, fairly tasteful. The game was called, uh, you're probably familiar with it, most of our readers. I get this call every day. It was also on green light for a while, then taken off, and now I think it's back on. But if you've actually played the game, I mean, it, first it's just like a very short, kind of cute game. I mean, it's really depressing if you've ever worked on any sort of like customer service job. But it in no way violates the privacy of any individual. It in no way like, you know, reveals any of the inner workings of the Canadian Revenue Agency or anything like that. So all the accusations that were levied against Galant through sensationalist press were completely wrong, and the fact that it resulted in his termination from his job is abhorrent. I mean, it's and still to abhorrent. be fair, the yellow journalism going on wasn't from the actual games press this time. No, it was uh, local newspapers. I think the Toronto Star. I mean, I don't want to be wrong about that. I think I should. Well, it was picked. It was picked up by other, web, at least their websites picked it picked it up, not their paper. Has anyone um, has anyone ever worked in a call center or customer services before? Nope. I was happy enough to avoid that profession. Okay, cause, well, because I have, and it's actually quite an accurate game. It's a pretty accurate representation of the uh, the fool the fools that you meet on a daily basis. So uh, yep. I felt the pain. I think, yeah, if you've ever had any sort of, like, call center job or any sort of, basically anything where you've had to deal with an average Joe individual, it inspires an awful lot of empathy. Yeah. I think everybody should have to do it once, along with, like, working in a restaurant and things. Yeah, the thing is, is uh, I, the thing is, is, like, because 
because I'm at the house, I usually have to do all the, oh, this isn't working, can you discuss this over the phone and how to fix it? And you can always tell, and it says, oh, another fool. And then until I start getting really specific and they suddenly realize, oh, my God, this guy's a problem I've never heard of before. <laughs> then suddenly they perk up. Well, that's the idea. I mean, most of the time when I have to deal with tech support, you know, it, I find that they're less well-versed in what they're talking about than I am. Oh, no. Sometimes i got to call two or three times before I get someone who knows what to do. But, but yeah, okay. uh, Gallant knew what he was doing, and he, got, he was wrongfully terminated, but now I guess he's trying to make it as an indie developer, and best wishes to him. Mm-hmm. Kentucky Route Zero. And that came out in January, the first chapter of it. Yep, the next one came out in May, and they an awesome, probably one of the best demos for a game that's ever come out, and now an intermission episode. Right, they've had a, two intermission episodes, I think, right? Well, Limits and Demonstrations is technically a demo right. and a prequel, mm -hmm. and then the entertainment is the intermission episode. Right, that's fair. Yeah, I, I think I actually haven't gotten into those yet, which is funny because you know, Kentucky Road Zero is probably one of the best things I've ever played. It's definitely one of the best games that came out this year, and it isn't fully released, which makes me sure. even more excited that there are three more to come. Yeah, there was uh, Joseph Fink, one of the writers of Night Vale, was just like, yep, the uh, the fifth chapter will probably come out in like 2016, and it'll be 20 minutes long, but... If, it, if, it's a, if it's as quality as the rest of it, then if, I really don't if care. If that's a really high quality 20 minutes, and I'm sure it will be, then I have no complaints. Honestly, like the complaints I hear is like it's it's so short and it says what game are you playing? Each episode's about two hours to two and a half. So and you know if you're you, if you're rushing through that game, you're playing it wrong. Yeah, it's it's a there's a lot of explorations and finding all the weird nooks and crannies, and just the way it uses different forms from like point and click text, uh, graphical screens, text, even two D side scrolling at one point. Yeah, uh, I think Cameron, did you write something about this game? Uh, yeah, I might have written a thing about it. It's been a long time. Uh, I like it a lot. I don't have many formal things about it. I just like that it is doing things, it's doing smart narrative and interaction-based things that other games aren't doing. Someone the other day was talking about on Oh No Video Games, uh, the podcast. They were talking about Brothers, and they were talking about how it's a smart and interesting narrative and game that manages to do all those things without being a commentary on video games, which is how a lot of, you know, quote-unquote smart and interesting games over the past couple of years have been, mm. you know, making those messages saying, oh, well, this is about video games. So I think Kentucky Route Zero is really smart and capable and trusts its audience to be, you know, smart and capable people without resorting to, oh, well, did you know that this is a commentary on games themselves, right? Mm. It's very confident, and I like that a well, lot. It does. It is a commentary on games, but it does a lot of other stuff in addition to it. It's there's a lot of like economic and societal criticism in there. Sure, I guess what I'm saying is like you know, Spec Ops: The Line uses its criticism of games as a crutch to keep you going and to make that game relevant. Kentucky Route Zero can do ten different things, and none of them are necessary or core to the experience. That makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Uh, Alan, did you happen to play it? Nope, because I didn't buy any games this year, apart from apart from Bioshock Infinite and F3DS and all the associated games for that. Not a single, not a single game. <laughs> yes, it went okay. Just an expensive handhold system and a day one AAA shooter. Oh, we'll get to Bioshock uh, yeah, yeah, in March. 
I did okay. I didn't buy like 15 games that I would have bought this year. I made a list of every time I was tempted. Um, I did okay, <laughs> but it does mean I'd get absolutely sawed all to say for the majority of these game discussions. That's okay. Over at Pop Matters, I was a part of a two podcasts, one for each episode of Kentucky Road Zero, and we went like really long and in depth about every little thing that we could that we could come across and discuss in depth. And we still had to leave out a lot because you don't want to sit there for three hours. Not everyone is me. <laughs> I was about to say, if you wanted us to do a Kentucky Road Zero podcast on a critical distance, I'm pretty sure it would break all of our bandwidth limits. Just, just for the. Uh, we'll get to it eventually. All right, February. Alien Colonial Marines kills the preview. Jim Sterling versus Randy Pitchford. Pitchford Gate. Pitchford Gate. I didn't. I did not add in Pitchford Gate. Someone else did that. That wasn't me. Wasn't me. I'm not taking responsibility for that. I'm going to look up the edit history in this while you get the summary of what's going on. Hold on. We'll get to the bottom of it. Is it a quicker way to find out if I'm misremembering? And yes, I am misremembering. Apparently, I did write that in back in back <laughs> in February. Okay. Wow. So, all right. So okay. summary. Uh, Alien Colonial Marines was presented as one thing. It was given a very lengthy demo to journalists and gamers everywhere of this really polished, pretty good shooter in the Aliens universe. The game that was released. And especially the level that was demoed was completely different and almost completely non-functional in comparison. So it was it was essentially the big uh, a huge con because it was also embargoed right to, to the point after it was reviewed they weren't allowed to discuss it proper and it basically just conned as many people as they could to buy it on day one from its actual quality. It and it was. It was so bad. It was to the point where there are actually legi- there was a, le- a somewhat legitimate class action suit for false advertising. Yeah, I think those uh, I think those uh, went ahead. And then there was another accusation, and the status of this lawsuit I'm not as clear on, but I believe that it was also uh, contended that the other side of the scam was that Gearbox was like funneling money for Colonial Marines into other projects, for example, Borderlands. And then Jim Sterling called out the game on its poor quality, and Randy Pitchford, the leader of of, uh, Gearbox, in all of his grace and glory whenever they release a shit product, decided to call everyone out and act like a whiny child. You said it, not me. Can anyone else describe it otherwise? I have no idea. I I did not track this event when it happened. Yeah, I think... um... Uh, whenever I saw what Alien Colonial Marines turned out like, I just shed one tear for, for Newt and Hicks and all those fair guys back in LV426. And then I just went about my life, designed to the fact that there will never be another good Alien game again because it just seems to be impossible. No, oh, Alien vs. Predator, the first one was good. But, back uh, in the, on the Atari Jaguar? No, no, no. Okay, Atari, AVP, it came out in 1999. It was made by a Rebellion on the PC. Um, that one was good. That's it. Okay. okay. That's the final word. That's the final word. Yep, that's it. Um, <laughs> I, I remember my, my Sega Saturn came with Alien Trilogy, and because I only had about two games for it, I unfortunately played all of that, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. So I recommend that. <laughs> Aliens seem to get a bad rap in the video game verse. Maybe it's just because everybody assumes that it would make an excellent game, but there already is a really good video game, and, you know, 
involving aliens. It's called Halo, and it's Halo is basically <laughs> aliens of the game. Everything from the the drop ships to the you know the mechanics. I think it's also because they think it has to be a shooter when in reality, uh, like a survival horror game would make more sense. Right, and I think I mean. I think, like, Aliens, Colonial Marines, like, basically did a Duke Nukem in that it tried to be everything, and it ended up doing everything very poorly. Not quite. You said it, not me. (laughs) And uh, leaving February, we enter March, because nothing much happened in February. Polygon editing their SimCity review due to server issues and the general SimCity shitstorm that lasted over a month. Um, Yeah. I don't know. That made people really angry, and I don't really understand why. I thought it was Again, fair. Um, I think the revision was fair. I think it makes oh, sense. You, oh, you thought the re- oh, you <laughs> were talking about the review. I thought you meant like why people were, weren't angry at SimCity. Oh no, I, I get why people were angry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reviewed the game. <laughs> I totally understand. Well, then why don't you explain what the whole SimCity thing was about? Uh, so my memory of it is that. They initially gave it a good review, and then on launch, when the servers the server system was not very good, it was definitely not up to the capacity that they needed, and so they um, revised the review and said, look, the game as actually played by people is not as good as we claimed it was before release, and people got very angry about that, right? But yeah, anyway, so that's it, right? That's what happened? Yeah, and then they said that the game, because it was forced by, because it had to be always online or the game wouldn't function, and then modders got in there into the code and found, no, in fact, all you have to do is switch this one little number from a one to a zero, and the whole thing works. And then they there was denials, there was not denials, and then EA basically just went silent, hoping it would disappear. And it did. It did. It did. Uh, yeah. It took all of, yeah, but not until they capitulated. I don't know. I got an email like six months later, and they a very personalizable email, and it was like, hey, did you know we fixed this game? It's actually okay to play now. <laughs> and I need a refund, see? Yeah, and, you know, I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I thought that game was amazing. I thought it was wonderful, and the technology just was not implemented correctly in order to make it as good as it could have been. Did they fix uh, the traffic thing? No, I think that's still broken. Wah, wah. Yeah. Kind of a problem for a city, but to be fair, that you know, in any major city I've been to, traffic is an issue. Yeah, but is it that bad? Have you seen the videos? No, have you, have you also, the it's, it's directed, also the traffic's directed in a very specific way that doesn't, I guess, match reality. Yeah, no. they always make a right turn, I think. Isn't that the thing? Or they wait They wait and, to make a left turn always rather than making a decision on left and right turn. And they'll always take, like, the most, like, direct route even if, you know, it's more congested. Mm-hmm. Why have you yeah. been bothering to simulate traffic on that level? No, because it used to be in, you know, SimCity 2 and 3000, you saw a few black dots. Why do you need to have that level of simulation? Well, it's because uh, SimCity is no longer about, like, a metropolis. It's more like about a suburban area. So everything is much more zoomed in and detailed. It's more Sims City now. Yeah. Okay. They decided that uh, we're not going to allow a variety of cities. We want you to build this specific type of cities because then it can integrate with other neighboring cities, which means you have to be online and we can monetize you. I guess with the, with the Polygon thing, to my mind, it's the reason that there's a backlash over the review editing, which I think is pretty reasonable. I mean, I thought we have to get away from this idea of games being these just, you know, 
box products that you buy and then that's it because they do get patched and they get the LC and expansions, etc, etc. You know, and they're always being patched and changed. Like Battlefield, when it, Battlefield 4 when it came out later in the year um, was a buggy mess, at least for the first week, and they've been patching it constantly. But So I think it's fair enough for them to change the review, but I think the reason people were annoyed that they changed the review, and specifically that they rescored it, is because there's still an idea that the review, like the game itself, is this kind of encapsulated, you know, rubber stamp and it's uh, always going to be correct and it is what it is and that's why you have things like Metacritic that's saying, you know, we have tallied up all of these reviews to objectively give you the truth about this game. And so that's, I guess it's a natural consequence of that kind of system where you have people, you know, delivering their opinions like they're printed on tablets from Mount Sinai. So whenever you say, oh, you can admit and say, all right, we need to go back and look at this again, then it gives... It gives people less of a secure feeling because then like will they buy some city now? Or do we to wait? You know, is it gonna go back from a, a five to the nine that you said it was? Are you going to recommend it in the future? You know. Just it's difficult for people who are using reviews as consumers, but it's also difficult for people who are using reviews to beat other people over the head of in internet forums. So so there you go. Yep. <laughs> I think the mic's not doing you any favors, but I got the gist of that. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Is it, is it the mic or the accent? No, the I, I, well, I mean, it's more liquor. Is the fact that we're all American and we're terrible with non-native accents. Speak for yourself. But then on top of that, yeah, the mic is making you come in just a little fuzzy. Sorry. The, the, the good mic was broken, so I'm very sorry. Oh, it's okay. You can make it up to us next time. <laughs> Same time next year, yeah. Oh, God, are we still going to do this? Anita Sarkeesian releases first tropes versus women in video games. Hooray! Video. And and sexism was solved forever. Oh, no. But uh, I did hear the other day that apparently there is now the Anita rule. The Anita? Where this... Where this or no, the Sarkeesian rule, where the discussion of sexism will inevitably lead to sexism. Uh, yep, that... Uh... That's uh, Sarkeesian's Law, I think it is. That was it, Sarkeesian's Law. Wow, we actually have a name for it now. Yeah, I think the actual verbiage of it is like, any discussion of the existence of sexism and the need for feminism will reveal the need for feminism. That's probably a better way of phrasing it. So yeah, the video came out, and, well, four videos throughout the year. And, you know, I think, I don't know what others were expecting but the video that I saw was just like, well, that's pretty mild. I mean, this is pretty Feminism 101. You know, I might show it to, like, an entry-level class or something like that. And, yeah. But no, that's, what, like, that's what she was asking. It was a right. 101 using video games. Right. And I don't know how anyone got the idea that she was producing anything else, except for the fact that there are some who consider absolutely any criticism of games as being like some sort of like attack on their lives. So, I mean, it wouldn't really have mattered. Like it wouldn't have mattered how much she had caveated with like, by the way, and this is problematic with that. Doesn't mean you have to not like it and all this stuff. stuff like, like it wouldn't matter if she had personally gone around and like patted every single like detractor on the back and like given them a massage and said it's okay because it wouldn't matter because they were determined to think that everything she was saying was incredibly inappropriate. 
one downside is that after watching her video, you gotta you gotta deal with all these suggested videos of all these asshats with responses for about a month oh. before the pro- before the thing would move on to new suggestions. I did like that. Well, when I was posting the videos at Gama Sutra, and maybe this is the most professional thing, but uh, you could always tell who was gonna get banned when you posted the latest Anita Sikizin video. Because, you know, we're, we're posting these for the benefit of developers, and some actually, you know, really like them and like the feedback. But you can always tell. It's like, oh, this is your lucky day. You get the bad hammer because you're totally going to come out of the woodwork and tell me about how this lady is like a, a liar and a charlatan and a scam artist. And we actually have a moderation policy for that kind of crap. So you actually secondarily enjoy the Troops versus Women videos because then you get to, to wield, wield the hammer of righteous justice? See, that, <laughs> and that's just something that I really miss from my moderation days. <laughs> I don't even bother now. I got a, a nasty comment on split screen and said something about how it was ironic that I'd written a blog post because I was a faggot. And I just said, well, I think our de- definitions of irony differ somewhat, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't bother with anything else. Like, just did, you know, let, let's not talk about the, the horrible homophobic slurs. Let's talk about this fact that this guy doesn't understand irony. Her videos and they are wonderful yeah. and I like them a whole lot. And some jerks on the Internet don't. And we shouldn't listen to those jerks. That's my yeah. feeling. The thing is, is like, unfortunately, and I, so far I've only found two, there are like legitimate grievances on minor points about the efficacies of certain trope, but it's like really esoteric stuff that most people couldn't even be bothered with. Right. But the fact, but the thing is, it's just lost among the deluge of utter crap. I mean, there's a point too of where like a, a 101 educational product is not going to be an infinitely fine-grained dissertation on the, you know, various intricacies of video games, right? These are like nine-minute videos that hit the high points of a particular way of viewing. There are 30 minutes. Oh, are they really that long? They're ha- uh, they're a little under half hour each. Oh, wow. The thing is, is I'm used to, the thing is, when it comes to, like, video presentations, I'm used to blips, so sure. that's, like, the norm for me. But I guess because it was put on YouTube, people, which is like a certain type of ego and a certain type of personality for people that this is just outside that norm and outside of that conversation space, which might have actually added to it. Cause if this was, if like she actually managed to get these on blip, I feel like the response might've been somewhat different in total because there's a different expectation, but I'm not too sure about that. No, well, I don't you think know, it's just latest attacks on basically logic Maybe we'll finally see a bit more of an exodus in that regard. Who knows? Oh, mm. uh, where was it? Brenda Romero resigns from the IGDA due to something that happened at GDC. Can anyone I, remind me what happened? Uh, no, so to put this in proper context, it did happen during GDC, but it was not at GDC. It was at okay. an unrelated party offsite in which the sponsoring company, I believe it was Yetison, hired some inappropriately dressed dancers or something like that and but the fact was that this was like a party that was like being put on like by the IDGA in conjunction with this group and Brenda Romero being the woman on fire that she is just had a fucking enough of it and resigned the next day and that I think like the day after that she was on like the um the one reason why panel 
in which she like just <laughs> launched into this amazing epic rant. I think the video is free online actually at the DDC Vault now about sexism and and like sort of the uh, just like the institutionalized inequality of the industry and how this is absolutely absurd that we even take as given that this is going on. So it was one of those moments, and Brenda's had several throughout the year, where she just kind of like came out on top of everyone because she's just such a firebrand speaker and the IDGA is doing absolutely nothing of note. I actually don't know what the IGDA actually does because every time I hear about them, it's always due to some controversy. First, it was the Edge guy before they ousted him. Then it, the next I hear about it is Darius is resigning, then Corvus is going away, and then Brenda Romero resigns. It's like, I don't know what they do. They don't do anything. What they, what they preach is complacency, and that's the unfortunate truth, that they okay, don't well. do an awful lot that is really advocacy, that, that is advocating for developers in any meaningful way. Yeah, so, going to that. No, I'm not going to dispute that at all. I think it's important before we headline the critique to say that they are intended to be like a less effectual union in the sense that they are supposed to be an advocacy organization that enforces work standards and professional standards across the environment of the game development sort of economy and apparatus. And as Chris is saying, exactly correctly, is they're not very effectual at doing that. They've become the sort of toothless. They didn't really have many teeth to begin with, right? Because they're like a half union and they've slowly but surely just, you know, sort of preached the standards. So everything that Chris said, but what they're intended to do is be an effectual organization. Well, everything intends to be an effectual organization. Sure, and some organizations are effectual <laughs> and some aren't. And I, the IGDA, from what I can see and understand, is not. And, you know, if it, if it you know, set out with the best of intentions, I think that between the sort of like industry complacency and also just sort of like this thing that's really endemic to uh, American business is like our absolute allergy to the term union and the idea of unions just kind of defanged it so completely that nothing would ever get off the ground. And so as Darius Kazemi, I believe said, it needs to be burned to the ground and something else needs to take its place. So Brenda Romero's resignation from the organization was possibly not the last nail in the coffin, but probably up there. Okay. Well, for important games, Bioshock Infinite. Cameron, you had a lot of work towards this in, um, in the beginning. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think the game is very good. I mean, more importantly, right, it, Bioshock Infinite sets itself up like all of the Bioshock games to be a very, very important game with important things to say, and it utterly fails at doing that simply because the way that it is, the, the rhetoric that's involved, that mm -hmm. no matter who you are, if you go too far to one side, right, uh, you know, be that comfort in the world the way it is or in a radical new direction, if you pursue that too strongly, then you will be a bad guy inevitably, which just isn't true in a number of different ways. And so it fumbles the ball there and continues to do so throughout the game. The movement is really fun. I, I think that's uh, I think it feels yeah, fun to I, move around in the world. I only played the intro to make sure it worked on my laptop with the contr with controller support, so <laughs> I haven't gotten to it yet. Well, the intro was the best part. I mean, as soon as the violence starts, I mean... I know, I'd just rather have an informed opinion about everything. 
I mean, I mean, it's basically like moral relativism a la South Park, in my opinion. That, mm-hmm. you know, you've got like these two sides, and the fact that we're even setting them up as two sides as though, you know, they're these just like these two equal things. Either you're in support of this racist hegemony or you're in support of uh, this violent revolution, and they each have something worth, you know, justifying is absolute bullshit on the level of this is Stan and Kyle moralizing at the end of an episode of, oh boy. And they like they even make it explicit at one point. It's just like, wow, I guess they were both bad and they deserved each other. It's like, no, fuck you. One revolutionary but, leader, like killing one kid before your eyes, has absolutely no bearing on ab- like like centuries of racial injustice and oppression. It's like, what the fuck, man? It's like, that's, not only is that, you know, like absolute bullshit on the level of uh, of like some sort of like moral point, but it speaks so much of the privilege from which like the the developers are writing from that it's totally fucking ghastly and galling. And the fact that so many people are willing to defend this bullshit is really depressing. So you're saying by failing to take a stand, it fails to stand up? Uh, I guess that's a very nice way to put it. I mean, no, I think it takes a stand, and that stand is really bad. <laughs> the stand is that progressive, not progressive, but the stand is that the ethical right thing to do, right, which is, you know, it is not ethical nor good to have forced segregation in your society, right? That's bad. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. That providing that, that writing that in such a way that makes us think, well, maybe the people who are fighting for their own personal autonomy and freedom, maybe they weren't, you know, right to do that. That's just a sort of a design and narrative issue, right? That's a big ethical problem right in the middle of this world you're constructing. And the game by playing that game, quote unquote, of trying to equivocate or at least put the put the idea of oppressive society versus revolutionary politics in conversation with one another and not coming out that people who don't want to be enslaved and segregated might be the bad guys is problematic, I think. Not, I think. It's problematic. I don't like that word. It's lost all its teeth. Sure. I don't know if it had teeth, but it's at least descriptive of what I'm trying to say. No, I agree. Mm. And I don't think we should write off the word just because it's overused. I think in this case, it is the very definition of problematic. And then, of course, there are those who try to write off that entire narrative because it just completely falls away at some point, and then it becomes a very facile discussion of multiple realities which completely loses the plot, in my opinion. Spoilers, Chris. Fuck that. It came out in March. <laughs> I haven't played it. Well, there Whatever, you go. dude. Now you it, does, it, it does work in your laptop, so uh, one day you'll be able to, uh, <laughs> to play it and then think it's crap. Actually, um, I was up in Edinburgh last weekend meeting up with some friends, and one of his friends, surprise, surprise, is a games journalist. So we had a, a very long half-hour conversation about Bioshock Infinite as we walked to the pub. That's all I do. You know, I'm Irish after all. But, uh, no, I, I guess the only thing I could say positively about Bioshock Infinite, apart from the fact that, yeah, everything everybody else has said about the story being garbage morally and garbage structurally, and the fact that there weren't enough shitty bits and they weren't interesting enough, was that at least people talked about it. And, you know, my friend sort of said to me, well, you know, at least they tried. And I guess the problem with trying is that I felt like if it just done one thing, if it just said, right, we're going to talk about racism or we're going to talk about religion or we're going to talk about 
quantum physics. So that'll be okay. Each of those would be plenty to to bite off and chew on for the course of the game. But the fact that it does everything at once means it sets itself up for failure, and it's never going to do any of those concepts justice. That's probably why you get this kind of you know rushed, flaky moral judgments from it. The phrase that comes to mind in these situations, uh, which I, I take from a, a video producer online, uh, is that that always that the response to any time when they try to tackle serious issues and then you end up with this final product is that the main complaint is you're not talented enough for this. Ouch. Because it is certainly possible to do all three of the things that it tried to do, just the developers didn't have the talent to, to actually pull it off. I don't know. I think that I, I think there are missteps. I think that game went through a long, long period of crunch, and I think that there were lots of things being implemented in the last bit of development that made it very difficult for it to play it off. Also, there's like weird sections in that game that are just about ghosts. You spend like an hour yeah. playing around with ghosts, and that oh, you know, so okay. had heard that yeah. one before. Quantum ghosts. Yeah. Oh, so what, like, what about the, the that graveyard um, fight? That's the most annoying bit of any game I've played this year. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to cut off Bioshock Infinite right here because it's now just getting weird. What about the, uh, the other talking dog? That was like that was well out of left field. The thing is, is I don't know if you're joking. Uh, okay, other March game, Tomb Raider, which we can refer the bulk of that conversation to the previous podcast, except to say that I really liked it. I really didn't. And I thought it was great, and we could probably leave it there. We really went back for, back and forth for like two hours on that other podcast. Yeah. So. Great to Zach for editing that down, because I didn't hear two hours worth of conversation. We're moving on to April. Uh, Microsoft dev Adam Orth tells people annoyed by an always online console to, quote, deal with it. Right. So I don't know if any of you happen to see coverage of or watch the video of the talk he gave about this at GDC Next in November. Not ever. Not all of us have access to that uh, uh, pretty- data. Pretty sure we like put out the video for free, but anyway, one way or another, I'll just give a quick recap. So, the way that Orth tells it is that he's not that good at Twitter, and when he made that post, he was really thinking that he was going that he was saying that in conversation with people that he knew that it wasn't going to be broadcasted out to the entire world, which you know is we can talk about the realities of social media, you know, to the end of the day, but we don't have all that time. So he fully acknowledges, first of all, that that was a really shit thing to post. However, the fallout from it, we could say, is possibly a bit out of proportion because he was sort of forced into resignation. He received, you know, all these harassing comments. I mean, I mean, it's not like he received the kind of, like, you know, death and rape threats that, you know, anyone would get, say, if they were, you know, presented as female – but still, it's just like he was like, you know, basically shamed out of the industry for what he did. And the fact that he was only saying basically what most of the people at Microsoft were probably thinking anyway, I, I question whether all of that antagonism was really justified. Not towards him because he's a guy with no power, but towards Microsoft, yes. Right, but he was just sort of like a convenient out 
outlet for that. Well, that's the thing is Microsoft deserves it, but Microsoft is a faceless entity. As soon as you make yourself the face of something, you're going to get all the attention for it. The funny thing is, like, a lot of the shit with the Xbox One, we can trace, actually, to Don Matrix, and whether he did some of that shit just to sabotage because he knew he was already going to Zynga, that's just all speculation. But the fact is that he's, you know, he's not the one that's making tweets with, you know, he doesn't make himself the face of it. He may have done it, but he knew to stay out of the limelight for it. Insofar as he's not a consumer face. I mean, I don't think there are yeah. very many people who are just average gamers who associate the Xbox brand with Don Matrick. If you follow industry news at all, he's a bit more recognizable. And, you know, you could also see his slime all over the X-Bone. But... Definitely, it was a case with Adam Orth that he was just a very easy target. All right. Now, uh, a quick mention of the formalist versus zinesters debate. That was it. <laughs> May. Good one. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. I promised that I would laugh at that joke before we started the podcast, so that's me fulfilling my obligations. Thank you, Alan. I don't feel horrible at all. (laughs) May. Fuck video games. Darius Kazemi. Kazemi? Kazemi, Kazemi. Darius, Darius. Ah, crap. (laughs) Darius, write in to tell me, write in to uh, criticaldistance.com and tell us how to pronounce your name so I don't screw up next time. He actually told me on a voice chat that we did once. You don't remember, do you? No. Okay. Anyway, his his uh, little, I wouldn't say post, more like interactive slideshow. Yes, something to that order. We can definitely link it in the post as per reference. It was mm-hmm. a, a bit of a manifesto against the idea of games and exceptionalism, among other things. And there are definitely others here. I'm looking at... Cameron's portrait here on Skype who could probably speak to more of it than I could because and I'm shrugging here I didn't actually get to read the entire thing and then it was too late for me because I was that was like my first month at Gama Sutra so I was being a little dork snoozy. Sorry. Sorry Darius. Darius. Cameron, care to step in? Yeah, it's exactly what Chris said. Darius is making an argument that if you want to make a piece of of art or whatever, right? If you want to say something, then maybe you should choose your medium based on the strengths of the medium rather than novelty, right? So especially during that time when he was writing that and maybe the six months previous, so the first half of 2013, I would guess, or I would say rather, there was this, I think, a fad of making a game based on just your sort of everyday experience and making it a game because you can make it a game. And Darius was just arguing that, look, you don't, game, you don't have to search for that novelty. You should find the best way to say what you're saying and find the medium that has the strengths, that has the affordances to allow you to make your argument or whatever you want to do better. So Righty says, if you want to make, uh, if you have something that needs interactive systems, maybe make a game. If you have something that's just about a long-form you know, string of thought, maybe make a short story. And if you want to make a little sculpture, maybe you can use cat poop. Right, that's a sort of example. I don't know. I think it. I think it rocked video game criticism a little bit for a while. It was a big deal. Unfortunately, I think the big takeaway was that fuck 
insert your noun here became somewhat of a running commentary throughout the year to hide a lot of intellectual dishonesty, but... Uh, the prevalence of memes in this. The, no, right, no. We kind of got you. Sorry. No. Are we going to end out this podcast talking about that Snark versus Snarm article? Mm, I, I didn't even fully understand it because I couldn't get through it. I think a lot of people have been linking that. I haven't read all the way through it. All right. Anyway, we're getting May... ahead of ourselves. And Darius, I and... am serious. I'm going to read the entire thing after I finish this podcast. All right. It's not long, so it shouldn't be too sure, too, yeah. too much time. And uh, Curiosity, What's Inside the Cube is finally revealed, and it's won by a guy in the same country as the developer. Alan, your thoughts? I'm up. Okay, so... If you want to take a flashback to last year's podcast, it's basically me saying, what's in the cube? What's in the fucking cube? Tell me what's in the cube, Peter. Just let me know what's inside this thing. And While half drunk. Yeah, pretty pretty. What's in the, what's in the cube? This one. This what's in the cube. So anyway, um, so I was, in, I was at work desperately trying to log on to the Curiosity servers. I tapped away at that cube. And I remember whenever I found out what was inside the cube because I was at a, a very nice lakeside uh, establishment in Oxford. And I think um, my girlfriend had you know, nipped off to, I don't know, the bathroom or something maybe. And I was like, all right, let's find out what's inside the cube. And it was the ability to work as a developer on Goddess for free and possibly make some money. So um, in a shocking turn of events, uh, the master of hyperbole himself, Peter Molyneux, turned out to be uh, talking more bullshit about one of those games. It's just a big advertisement for Goddess. <laughs> so that, that's what was in the cube. Disappointment. <laughs> Leaked out of the cube, pretty much. Um, it's a bit like one of those, you know, those smiley Mario clouds, but instead of smiley one, it's just a grey one, and when it tried to rain, it just kind of drizzled a little and then evaporated. All of our hopes and dreams were in the cube. And there were so, all those folks afterwards who were saying, "It's like, but wasn't it more the experience of clicking that was the worthwhile thing?" Of giving yourself RSI just for somebody else is <laughs> a different type of character. <laughs> yeah, did anybody did anybody else log into this dude? Did he see people tapping away at this thing? Yeah, I actually played for quite a while when like I was bored with watching what was on TV, and I still didn't wanted to see what happened. I'd just have it off on the side, yeah. and then it would crash my tablet. So I think to call that an experience, pretty charitable. Well, what about? I would call. I think he called it more an experiment because he kept changing things to see what people would be willing to do. Like people, like he added like microtransactions to not just like get abilities to be able to destroy several cubes at once, but also the ability to add cubes back onto the cube. Right. There was a, the whole. Oh, he's just monetized trolling. Exactly. Uh, meme that went around. And people paid for it. Yeah. There are only two types <laughs> of people who use the word they, experiment, though. There, you've got scientists, they're allowed, they're allowed to use the word, and then you get um, people who want to do shitty things, but they want to take responsibility for them. And, uh, you know, oh, uh, I, can't, I can't believe you wrote that really offensive sexist blog post. Ah, but, uh, but that was an experiment to see how people would react to it. And, and nobody fell for it. Good job, guys. Good job. <laughs> no, they never just say experiment, though. It's always a social experiment. And what's inside so the cube? So did Yeah. I think that's what you called it. <laughs> There's plenty of things I could call it, but none of them are social experiments. <laughs> <laughs> We're already, you know, 
swearing up a storm in here, Alan. I'm pretty sure that there's nothing you could say that would get us hauled in by the FCC. So <laughs> that's what I say. <laughs> so there's so like he said it would change the person's life. What is your thoughts on how that came out? I think you need to have uh, bigger life aspirations. So that would change your life. <laughs> Well, pretty much. Before, anyways, well, the only way this could change anyone's life if it was a big stack of money, and well, it's an indeterminate amount of money because it's based on the uh, how much people spend on the microtransactions in Goddess. That the the winner will get a fraction of that. Isn't that an early access now? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone played it? No. I, I don't even know. I think it's like populous, but different. You might say I don't have the curiosity to pay for the early access deal. <laughs> uh, now you're just... Uh... The sunglasses floating in onto your face from above. <laughs> yeah. The deal with it. starts oh, no. the stream. <laughs> no! I caramba. You could call anything a life-changing experience, you know? Like... I ran a half marathon a couple of years ago. That was a life-changing experience. I really damaged my knee as a result. It was also a life-changing experience. It's like, what, what, what doesn't change your life to some extent? It's like every time I read a good book, that changes my life a little, you know? It, it would right. actually be probably more productive to, you know, isolate the things which did not in any way, you know, change your life. Curiosity. Like, it's one thing that didn't change my life. <laughs> Well, I, the thing is, it wasn't just the ability to become a virtual god in a video game that no one can actually tell if it's come out yet or not, but you could say it was a bald man in a white room. That's, that's true. Now, the best thing because about the, the best thing that's ever happened that's come out of Peter Molyneux is Peter Molyneux, and I think on that level, we can, we can all agree. No, I liked Fable more than I liked Peter Molyneux. Oh, shit, we're going to throw down. Yeah, Which Fable? I prefer. All right, well, that's not what the podcast is about, but we can throw yeah. down. Right. <laughs> Join us next time for our Fable podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now i got to play Fable. Okay. Do you have any more stand-up, Alan? Stand-up? No, I'm, I'm spent. That's me. It's just, um, it's just a, a slow, trickling journey to the bottom of the bottle of whiskey right now. <laughs> yeah, we I thought you were way. trying to save that. Yeah, but it was so nice. I'm on my own. I'm only on, on glass too. So just, I'm just getting, I'm just getting fluid, not ready. Uh, I wish I could join you. <laughs> All right, June, and we e3. move into a. Yep, E3, the uh, megalomaniacal consumerist of video game. You know, I actually had, I was going somewhere with that. How many of us have been to E3? No. I think it's just you. Just me. I, I can assure our listeners that it's terrible, and if you ever have the opportunity to go, don't. Go to Disneyland, for Christ's sake. It's just up the block. Not literally, but you can catch a bus from downtown and be up there in like half an hour. And it's a much better experience. Don't go to E3. Never. I've heard your stories about the traffic. I highly doubt it's half an hour. All right, fine. I'm probably exaggerating. It's probably... Anyway, anyway back to... You can catch a bus. Focus back on it. Um, rape joke at Microsoft press conference on the stage. And what is now termed as... Sexist microaggressions and or sexist transactions at E3. 
Well, uh, yeah. the actual joke, didn't he? It, they were playing Killer Instinct, and then I think the guy said something like, oh, you yeah, just let lay me be back, you. Take, lay back, it'll be happen. over soon. That was it, yeah. Yeah. Lovely stuff. And then, you know, it, and it was apparently ad-libbed, and who knows, but she was... Well, uh, I'd certainly hope so, because to think that someone script that? Uh, well, everything seemed really staged at those events. Is that they keep on telling us something to the um, to the contrary? So who knows? Maybe yeah, the, fu- the the funniest thing ever is it, because most of it's just awkward. But the funny thing is when the Sony was showing off Twitch integration, is to look at the at what at the comment section <laughs> next to the game being displayed. It is a, that that's not what a Twitch comment <laughs> section looks like. <laughs> it's like and like someone created a, a wonderful image. Is what Twitch comment. Sony thinks Twitch comments look like. It says, that looks super fun. I will get it, too. Yeah, that's a great game. Awesome. I would buy a TM from the Sony PlayStation <laughs> PM store. And, uh, the, what, and then next to it is the image, what it actually looks like. Boobs, 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 boobs. And it's just like 20 different usernames just yeah. repeating the same word <laughs> over and over. But... Uh, that's another one of the sexist microaggressions of video games yep. in general. But, yes, so going back to the Microsoft press conference, the, the most notable part of this is really that it happened on stage in front of thousands, if not millions, of viewers. And uh, and then there was a debate on whether it was a rape joke at all because, you know, that's really the sort of thing that you want to argue about. I mean, imagine explaining that one to your grandkids someday, that you stood your ground when someone contended that something was a rape joke. I don't think the people who are standing their ground have the memory capacity for that long. True. And I hope they don't have grandkids either. No, that's that's too far beyond our abilities. But anyway, so yeah, that was one of several really awkward moments. Uh, we have a Kotaku article in the show notes about several others. Yeah. I also uh, was uh, the subject of a pretty sexist experience that happened at E3, but not at all on the level of what those presenters did. So I guess I should count myself fortunate. On the lighter side of news, Sony crushes Microsoft on used games by maintaining the status quo. I don't see heard. your bias in this at all. Have you ever heard people um, cheer so much for somebody announcing that they're going to continue to do the exact same thing? No, I have not. <laughs> I mean, just... the thing is, is they didn't they they didn't do the exact same thing. Right before it, they slipped in that a uh, PSN that uh the PSN would now require a subscription model to play multiplayer online, and then they say use game and everything will do the same thing. Use games will be the same, and they cheered, and they inadvertently were cheering for paying to play multiplayer, which, honestly, I don't think anyone really cared that they were now paying for it. I guess there's an assumption that people who really like PlayStations have Plus anyway, because it's generally seen as pretty good if you like free games. So it's like, they, they kind of talked about it as you're getting the multiplayer gaming free with Plus. Rather than I, if I had money, I'd probably get plus. It actually, it you definitely get the bang for your buck, especially since they started adding like a triple A games mm-hmm. for yeah. for like monthly free things. It's but, anyway. like of, uh, but yeah, it's well. just. So I think they've got the original Fable coming out next month, actually. So uh, people enjoy that and Age of yeah. Empires and things like that. 
But uh, before before we got started with the recording, Chris, you were talking about how they uh, th- how this was like an image change for them, and that's right. the most no, interesting section of it. I think it's interesting insofar as I think that Sony, and it's really ridiculous that we talk about Sony or anyone winning something like E3 because it's like it seems like like who wins a presidential debate. I mean, the fact that we even have an idea of a winner and a loser of that thing is totally not the fucking point, but the fact that they came away from that event smelling like roses compared to their competition, mainly by being the sort of cheeky, amicable, hey, we're just going to let you do what you want to do, even though that was totally not the case and they're being just as disingenuous as any of these other companies, it was definitely an effective change in their market strategy that, you know, I mean, now we have, like, uh, Kazirai and some other folks that are just, like, being all personable and Reggie-like in commercials and stuff like that. And, you know, it's appreciable to see that they're going for a more personable approach like that, even if, at the end of the day, it's just as cynical as when other companies do it. Did anybody remember the Sony press conference from E3 2006? Oh, you mean the one where I walked away for dinner, came back, and they were still showing that trailer for Gran Turismo? Yeah, this is the this is the the, the conference that launched a thousand memes with the the, the giant enemy crab, its ridge racer, <laughs> ridge racer, uh, uh, and the the Africa one with the the hippos eating their dinner and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I, I've watched you know, some really good mashup highlight reels of that over the past probably the past six or seven years, I guess, and. I think that that same company, you know, we had the chief executive, Ken Kutaragi, saying, well, if you can't afford a PS3, why don't you just get another job? Um, to go from that into saying, you know, it's PS4, it's cheaper, the games launch on discs, and you can trade them in with your friends. It's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty big turnaround. It was very much a Sony's back, motherfuckers, kind of press conference. I forgot about the giant enemy crab. <laughs> well, I forgot about the giant enemy And it crab. never showed up on screen. <laughs> the best part is that it says, and here you have this giant enemy crab, <laughs> but the in-game camera wouldn't shift over to actually show it. <laughs> so you're fighting the game off screen. You're fight- he- so he's fighting this thing that's off screen. <laughs> he, has to- he has to narrate what's going on. You know, do you not remember the bit where he, uh, like you look at these advanced features like real time weapon change, and uh, and then the cla- well the, the classic bit was he said that you know this game is called Genji and it's inspired by historical battles throughout Japan. So here's this giant enemy crab. <laughs> I'm going to attack its weak point for massive damage. <laughs> that was the that was like the line to end them all. <laughs> The thing is, is like we're getting faster with these mashups because if you didn't watch the conference, I forgot who it was. I want to say like Probably I forgot what the what Probably one of Matt Lee's excellent videos. Yeah, because he uh, if you watch like the one of the PlayStation Four reveal, the X Bone reveal, and then the two three conferences, it's like those are just like five. Each video is like a five minute concentration of info dump and comedy, delivered with a British accent. No, I found it funny. And then nine days later, Microsoft backtracks on all on everything they said. On most things. You know, not for good, just, you know, for long enough. And it would result in things like day one patches and delays and all this other crap. 
Yeah, apparently what they said that couldn't be changed because it was fundamental to the hardware required a 50 megabyte patch. And that's John Matrix influence again. Gone, but not forgotten. <laughs> Did you just say gone, but not forgotten? <laughs> no, I, I wasn't trying to turn that into a pun. I genuinely thought that was what you said. <laughs> okay. Uh, remember me, Cameron. You have good memories of this. Oh, what a great pun you've you've crafted for us all. Yeah, no, I like the game a lot. I think that uh, it's incredibly linear. Uh, the boss fights feel super video gamey. They're very repetitive. It feels a lot like an upskin or, you know, a good HD remake of a game, I don't know, like a Mega Man game. And it's kind of kludgy, right? It doesn't work super great most of the time, but I just really enjoyed the world building that was going on. I think the narrative is fine and then goes completely off the rails in a way that I really enjoyed. And it was fun to play. Not only fun to play, but, like, well, it's a weird balance in that on one hand it is fun to play most of the time, and then it just goes directly down into the ground in the most difficult, broken, horrifically designed way possible, right? It just doesn't work sometimes. The systems aren't operating correctly, and I love that for some reason. Um, Way to sell it, Cameron. I I don't think that's a bad thing in games. I think when game systems are designed in such a way that they sometimes run up against themselves, I think that's interesting. I think that that's where... uh, some of my best game experiences or my best moments playing games come from. So I don't know. I like that a lot. I I would uh, agree that, yeah, it is a very mixed experience. And even though I came away from it thinking, wow, that world building, you know, it had a lot of potential, but fundamentally it felt very shallow. And the storytelling fundamentally did not sell the world at all. And, that all being said, I came away from it, and I'm pretty sure I tweeted to this effect, but the more people have been playing it now, I think the, the more that like sentiment has been spreading, it's basically the binary domain of 2013. Oh, come on. You just, you just described something that sounds worse than binary domain. What? You haven't played it, man. That's why I'm saying you sound, it sounds like you described it. Because Binary Domain was great. Binary yeah. Domain was very hard to play in much the same way in that it had very frustrating segments. The boss fights were very gamey, and the narrative fell incredibly flat, ex- at least for me. That all being said, I think that it had some real gems in there that you know are worth discussing critically. I think one of the really cool strengths of Remember Me is knowing that this is a studio, the development studio who did it, who I'm blanking on their name right now. Don't uh, not. Yeah, this is their first game, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, I think it's a really, really strong sort of first showing from the studio. I'm really excited about whatever they do next. I don't think they're doing a sequel for Remember Me, even though it's sort of uh, set up to have one. But, yeah. What about its, um, its uh, unique mechanic, the uh, memory-altering thing? Uh, that only really shows up like four times, and yeah. it's really, really linear. There's an, there's an exact correct way to do it. Well, the fun more... thing, though, is to find like the incorrect path. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I thought it was good. I thought every little piece of it, it just didn't quite click together in the perfect way. But I think that that studio would do really well to have a second shot. So more interesting than good? Uh, I don't. I don't separate those two things out. So, mm. Animal Crossing: New Leaf. I played this one. I played this one. 
definitely getting. It's apparently Isabel's birthday in a few days. Or it I'll will, be back in four minutes. Just go on. Although by the time this actually goes live, it will probably have been a few days after her birthday. But still, I, I wrote about this one a bit already, but it's definitely one of my favorite games from this year. You know, it's just very meditative, very zen in many ways. It, you know, kind of recalls a sort of, like, pastoralism of, like, Pokemon or Zelda, but without, like, all, like, the, the, I need to, you know, advance and collect and defeat and all that stuff. It's very sort of just nostalgic for this, like, small-town atmosphere that's very quintessentially Japanese and at the same time very universal, which is just a, a very desired aesthetic among a certain type of Japanese pop culture. It had a lot of great characters, and I have the most amazing house that so many of you will never see, but I based it off of an obscure 70s horror film, and it's the best. Is it house? Yes, I have a house <laughs> in the game that was designed after uh, Legend of Hell House, the 1970s version, uh, based off the Matheson novel. Have you said house? I thought you meant the medical drama. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I was talking. There's a Japanese horror film that's called just. It's just called House. Yeah. It's a surreal horror film. Does it right. star Hugh Laurie? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it ain't worth shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your house. Um, I also played New Leaf. I think what I kind of like about it is that. This was probably the game that pushed me over the edge into buying a 3DS. I'd, I'd been at the Summer of Sonic fan convention, ostensibly as a journalist, but mainly as a Sonic fan. And um, so many people had 3DSs that I then thought, nah, this has to be done. Um, that was actually, I, I got New Leaf gifted by a very nice person who gave me a gift code. I didn't, I didn't actually pay for that one. Shame, shame about the 3DS. But um, I think New Leaf is nice because it's like you can just go on a holiday whenever you want. You go to this place where you don't have to worry about the flights, your baggage getting lost, or not being able to speak the language, or being stuck with loads of British pillocks in a hotel. You know, it's just <laughs> a nice, it's just a nice place to go every day. And whenever so many people's lives are really erratic, and you know the economy sucks, it's hard to get a job. I don't know, even things like the weather's unpredictable. It's just a nice place to be. It's a place that's got this like totally farcical economy where you can just pull up anything, you know, items just drop out of the sky and you sell them. So it's like everybody just kind of gets richer and richer and richer. It's like, it's just, it's just a nice place to be. It's just a, a genuinely nice place to be where everybody's happy to see you and they write you letters and they ask you where you've been when you go away. It's pretty much the opposite of real life. It's definitely not a life simulator. So you don't get a dream simulator perhaps, but definitely, definitely nothing like real life. <laughs> no, it's, it's very idyllic. It's, I mean, it's a very idealized version of, like, the small-town life. Like, um, like in, in a way, it's very, like, 1950s sitcom, but through the very, like, idiosyncratic Japanese folkloric, like, filter. And, you know, in as much as, like, you know, some parts of it is just like, this is, that's, like, another thing, too, is that, in as much as it's, oh, it's so innocent and sweet, but then it's like there's also this really weird shit that goes on that doesn't really have a good explanation, like how all of your neighbors are just the worst people, even though they're incredibly cute about it, or the fact that you're, like, basically digging up grave sites and stuff like that. 
for why your month. Why are you the only human in Animal Crossing? Everyone else is an animal except you. There was, oh, there was my favorite line. Well, one of my favorite lines. At one point, there's this character, I believe it's like a pink deer, who's just like, where does dust come from anyway? We should eliminate the source of dust. <laughs> <laughs> They're advocating the genocide of humans. That's so nice. But you, but you wrote a, you wrote about a lot of this in your, um, yeah. your five out of ten piece. It's hey, yeah, that's hey, a great five out of ten, year one. It's like no, go buy it. Yeah, hey, most of the people on this podcast, Eric, you never know, doors always open. Uh, <laughs> I keep applying, but it's always when it's closed. Well, that's your first mistake. <laughs> your second is admitting it to me in this podcast. <laughs> um, I know you're right about this idea of, of cultivating heaven. The idea is just this nice utopic place to go, and I think that it really resonates with me as well. As it's just a uh, yeah, a thoroughly nice, if a wee bit strange, place to be. Okay. Now, what about all the uh, slavery that goes on there? Animal slavery. Yes. That that was an interesting article, and you know, I mean, I've shown it to some people, and a lot are like, "This does not go on. This is completely exaggerated, etc." I mean, and I'm of two minds about that. I mean, you know, possibly they just aren't seeing it, or they aren't really seeing the significance of it the way that. And we'll put a link into the to this particular article in the post as well. But the idea, or at least, was advanced by this one particular. Article. I think it was on Mashable. I might be mistaken. Was that players were using, for example, the forums to organize the sale of of your Animal Crossing neighbors to the various towns because of an interesting mechanic where if you are, if you exchange friend codes with one another and you both have a game and you visit each other's towns, your neighbors, these little animal NPCs, will be aware of these other denizens. And so if at some point they say, hey, I want to move away, there's like a decent chance or something like that that the other person can then come in and convince your neighbor to then move into their town and all that stuff. And so it was contended by this article that a lot of players were turning this into sort of a like uh, an, an animal NPC slave trade where um, they would sell off outgoing um, neighbors to one another. And there were certain neighbors that were incredibly valued because they were, I don't know, very nice or rare or something like that. And It's all because of a glitch that made money. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and there was also a money glitch. Although, I mean, I think I might have run across like one person through Street Pass who had that thing. And it's just like, yeah, you just, uh, you roll your eyes and then you delete that person's house from your, your like Happy Home Academy. And then you just kind of move on because... If you're not participating in that sort of online economy, it's very easy to just ignore that that glitch exists. It's not, I mean, in as much as we call it a very social game, it's also a very singular game. You don't really have to participate with the sort of global player base if you don't want to. Yeah, I think it's kind of at its weakest whenever you play with other players, to be honest. It works. It works. It works. I don't mean that in a nasty way. I still want to come to, to Hell House. Don't get me wrong. Um, just that I've always kind of played it on my own, and any time that I've played it with other people, it always feels a bit limited. I don't really mm. know, because you can do the same things. It's just that I kind of like having that level of control over my village, and I don't like the idea of people stealing all my fruit and running away. It's probably just because I'm inherently antisocial. Wait a minute. Do people actually steal your fruit? Um, no, because I didn't play that many games with them, but in theory, <laughs> they could have. 
That's you why know? you just invite over people that you trust and you send messages saying, hey, here's fruit that you can take and here's fruit that you can't. It's all about <laughs> being neighborly, Alan. <laughs> yeah, I've just dug a hole for myself, so I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> oh, 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 I see another game in the list, The Last of Us. Let's talk about The Last of Us. Go ahead and talk about The Last of Us. This is one I haven't picked up yet. For no fault of my own, I asked for a review copy, but alas. I kind of got, like, hammered the last time I, I put out my opinion on The Last of Us, so I'm a little reluctant to go talk about it. You're safe here. This is a safe space. Oh, God, don't bring up safe space. That that. Wait, this, anyway. is, this is our diversity lounge. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Okay. The Last of Us is fine. Like... Uh, on like a purely structural level, it works. Although for some reason, because of the just sheer people I keep talking about it, I'm forced to think about it more and more. Earlier this year, I called it emotionally manipulative, basically because it was, it was just, I just saw everything coming. It was too obvious, and while it try and it hits all the emotional beats exactly as they're supposed to come and ultimately it just felt hollow and meaningless though the more i th think about it and the more i try to examine it because i just didn't like i just didn't really like it i didn't hate it so i just put it in like the fine category ultimately i think in my opinion it's like the last of us just i think didn't hide the seams well enough it's like they tried to work towards this grand, meaningful HBO-style gritty epic, and I guess they just didn't cover their tracks. The construction crews that put it together didn't yeah. cover their tracks well enough, so you could just see how everything came together. And then there were a few points where it absolutely falls apart into gaminess that they were trying that they that even though they were being obvious in other parts, they were doing well enough to hide. There's like a particular point where you're walking inside this big, this big, uh, where your brother has been living, this big camp where everyone's protected and there's walls and there's an inner wall. And then you're walking and you're seeing how they're getting a hydroelectric dam working again. And then you start noticing chest high walls around. And then, of course, the first bad guys you meet are somehow in the very center of like three walls and inside a complex. And this is where they start fighting you first. And it's just such a video game trope and it does this in a few different ways so it falls apart there but overall it just yeah it's okay but i'm definitely not the majority opinion on this i mean i guess uh right so i've played it i mean i guess my my first response to what you're saying is that it is a video game and it's not it's doing a good job of camouflaging that sometimes but i don't think that we can knock a video game for being a video game I think that's like... Well, I knock it because it's not trying to be. Okay. It's trying to be something different than what a standard video game, as we think of it, is. Uh, oh, this I, is I going down a treacherous path. Exactly. I, I mean, I, I just think that, at the end of the day, I think you're wrong, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's just doing the same thing that Uncharted did, right? It has really strong narrative sections, and then you're shooting dudes, right, for a long time in a way that wouldn't exist in other media or whatever, right? So it's gaminess comes out sometimes. That's fine, whatever. No, I, I mean, I thought I, I kind of have the same criticism that you do, is that I think that the emotional notes in particular are designed in such a way that I'm not sure if they're manipulative, but certainly they're telegraphed. 
But that's also the point, right? This is the video game equivalent of, you know, Transformers The Dark of the Moon. And I like I like the Transformers movies just fine. I think Michael Bay is a good director. I'll go to the mat for that. Oh, but shit. I know. Even Transformers hey, 2. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about Transformers 2. Uh, okay, okay. Or there Transformers was only 1. one Transformers movie, and it came out in 1986, okay? Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, right, so, like, I'll, I, I will go to the mat for, like, sort of big, massive budget films, and I'll do that for games, too. But I think that the demographic and the kind of largeness that it, The Last of Us needs, right, it needs the sort of mass-normalized appeal and so it's working in the same way that Transformers 3 or that any sort of Oprah's book club novel or a New York Times bestseller is trying to do, right? They are hitting a certain demographic, and to hit that demographic and to hit those sort of large-scale numbers, you need to saw all of the difficult edges off. Everything has to be predictable and fit into a model, right? That's just how those sort of large-scale media work. So it suffers because of that, I think. But I think the game itself is fun to play, and that's, I think, why the multiplayer was so great. I played that for a little bit when I was playing it, and it's just because that system of play is uh, sort of, that's all there is, right? There's no narrative part to it. You don't have to suffer through these sort of weird balances back and forth between its narrative beauty, quote-unquote, or, you know, pure gaminess. It's just a game and everything has weight, and you're just people running around beating one another to death, and it feels it has good game feel to it. So, yeah, that's my long-form Last of Us talk. Although I, I can understand to a certain degree, although certain parts of the feel sort of fell apart, especially when in one section I remember they came that I ended up taking out the bad guys like they were lemmings. I wait for them behind a corner. One guy comes, kill him. Wait for the next guy to run over, kill him. It, it was... And it, there's just, I don't know, I just have like a lot of minor points and it just spo- that just cropped up throughout my playthrough and it just spoiled the whole tenor of it. The thing is, is like that sort of big blockbuster ideal of hitting these story points works for something like Uncharted, which is a lot more light and a lot more adventure in its tone and style to something that is as self-serious and screams to be, we are meaningful and it, the same form doesn't work for both styles of storytelling? Yeah, I, I think sometimes it doesn't. I don't know. I don't think that... I think that The Last of Us, short of like the last hour maybe, really hits about E.T. levels of very seriousness, right? Like, I don't think it takes itself nearly as seriously as I think we've tried to put on it uh, as a critical community up until the last hour or so. And then it's, you know, straight up the road style deep nihilism uh i don't know because uh the thing is the best section of it is winter that whole section where mm-hmm. you end up where you end up playing l not ellie that's another game yeah i'm yeah, trying ellie. To, that's that's what i'm saying from, oh it is ellie no yeah it, it, I, maybe that's the last two hours then i don't i don't have a good but yeah yeah from that section until the end is pretty much i think it takes a dark turn and everything up to that's a little bit different in feel but i don't know we can agree to disagree eric Oh no, that's fine. I've I've actually I've actually like when I talk face or at least voice to voice with people, I actually have very interesting discussions about it. <laughs> <laughs> when I talk when I talk face to face, I actually have interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Alan.